Ultra. in a great story i'm joe dorowski and this week we're discussing beth Harmon from the queen's gambit and joining us for the discussion is returning guest virginia McAllister. welcome virginia thank you excited to be here and as longtime listeners know you are my sister so yes. <laughs> just getting that out there for any <laughs> it's like wait how does he know all that about the guest yeah yeah <laughs> there's a lot <laughs> little background yep uh, the Queen's Gambit was written and directed by Scott Frank. It is a seven-episode miniseries that tells the story of a chess prodigy, Beth Harmon, as she comes of age in her personal life and climbs the ranks of the international chess circuit in the 1960s. I guess kind of the 1950s is the the earliest episodes, right? But like uh, her, yeah. and her chess career is more 60s, or at least more it's 60s. the aesthetic. Yes, I definitely remember. Yes. It stars Anya Taylor Joy as Beth Harmon, and it was released on Netflix on October 23rd, 2020. Virginia, do you remember how you first discovered The Queen's Gambit? Um, yes, we watched it not long after it was released. It wasn't, you know, the minute it was dropped, but we kept seeing it pop up on, you know, on the, you know, must watch list on mm -hmm. Netflix because we watch lots of stuff on Netflix. Um, so it probably wasn't too long after that. I want to say it was maybe over Thanksgiving weekend and we binged it in a weekend which we do not binge shows. We don't have a lot of time, but we binged this in a weekend. Well, not so much Thanksgiving weekend. You do have more time. Then. Right. Yeah. So I think it was over Thanksgiving, you know, so not long after it was released and just absolutely loved it. Yeah. It's um, a similar thing where, I mean, with Netflix shows, sometimes like there's not a buzz heading into it. It's just all of a sudden it's there and everyone's talking about it. Mm -hmm. And yep. I think that's definitely the experience I had was just, just, people talking about it, family members recommending it, seeing it on, like you said, social media and, and, and must watch lists and other things and hearing some really good reviews for it. And so um, it's like I said, it's seven episodes. Each one's about an hour. I mean, it, it is streaming. So there's not like a strict, like, you know, 48 minutes or anything like that. So there's some flexibility in how long, I think a couple of them may even be over an hour. Um, but similarly, I think it was within like a week and a half of us watching the first episode, we'd watch the last episode because you, you, it, it's just very compelling. It you pulls can't you stop. in. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and um, that's not something I expected to say about chess matches. Right. A show about chess. I had the same yeah. thought like, okay, we'll try this out. Let's see how this goes. But it was so compelling. Yeah. And I will note, just in general, we, we are most often covering family-friendly shows. This one has some F-bombs. It feels like they like they, they drop several F-bombs in the first, like, four minutes of it to, like, uh, right. warn everyone. And then they really don't drop that many for, for the rest of the way. Uh, no. It's overall, pretty pretty clean yeah i would say just, just uh, yeah the there's the oca occasional moment but yeah like, and some you know self-destructive behavior involving alcohol right yeah. is definitely um uh part of the uh the storyline here uh some trivia about queen's gambit so this is based on a 1983 novel by walter tevis and it seems like this novel was like optioned and everyone has wanted to make a movie of it since the novel was released and no one could quite crack it um, one interesting bit of trivia I saw was that um, it was, let's see, so uh, yeah, Heath Ledger signed on to, to direct a, an adaptation of the book as his directorial debut, and that was going to be one of his next projects after The Dark Knight, uh, and then his tragic passing had, uh, you know, obviously prevented that. But there's so much story in this that it feels like it had to be a miniseries. I can't imagine mm -hmm. this story as as a two-hour film. No. Definitely not. I'm yeah, and it feels like something like Netflix was the right place for it. Mm -hmm. You know, so I'm glad they waited <laughs> for yeah. a while so that they had the opportunity to do it in this format because it just felt like such a perfect fit for something like Netflix. Yeah, because because it, it um there's all these characters that come in and out of her life, and in the episodic format of a miniseries, you have time to kind of forget and then like be excited by their return. Mm -hmm. And I don't know that that can hit quite as well in a contained two-hour movie. 
um, format. And I'm like trying to imagine, I'm already like, okay, well, like the whole first episode about her time in an orphanage, that's probably like a two minute opening credit montage. (laughs) (laughs) Right. (laughs) And that was, you know, an hour of content. Yeah. (laughs) In this. Um, So uh, with with this, like we said, it appeared on Netflix in uh, October, 2020. And four weeks after it was released, Netflix announced that it had become the streamers most watched scripted series ever. Wow. which for the director, um, Scott Franks, like I said, it, people have been trying to adapt this. He personally had been trying to adapt it for about a decade. And everyone said, no one's going to watch something about chess. And he, he just was struggling <laughs> to get it made. And then it became <laughs> Netflix's most successful scripted right. show ever. <laughs> um, it was nominated for 18 Emmy Awards and it won 11, including Outstanding Limited Series. And it was the first series from a streaming service to win that that, that award. Because... Um, the uh the people who hand out the awards are are still a little hesitant to recognize streamers as valid purveyors yeah. of art. Yeah. <laughs> the the old system must be protected. Yes. Right? Um world former world chess champion Gary Kasparov was a consultant on the series and in um with with his him as a chess consultant as well as a couple other uh, things they did and also like borrowing from famous iconic chess games. Uh, that's how they built all the games that are being played. Hmm. So like Beth's in Beth's careers, you see it like they're, they're lifting from, um, you know, known chess matches and also consulting with uh, Kasparov about what, you know, is the right talent level? What is the right kind of thing? And so, I mean, these games are edited so quickly, you can't really mm-hmm. follow, but I mean, if you know the rules of chess, you, you you're watching it and you're always are like, okay, that, that piece can move that way. Um, which right. is not always the case when you see chess on TV or in a movie sometimes where it's like, mm, <laughs> that piece should not have done that move. <laughs> so I thought that was really interesting that uh, Kasparov was, was heavily mm-hmm. involved in it. And it's been reported that in combination with, the COVID lockdown that increased interest in gaming in general, but then also after this uh, miniseries dropped on Netflix, the interest in chess uh, like spiked to one of its highest levels in a generation. Not surprising. Um, Yeah. Uh, So like all the chess organizations and the sales of chess sets uh, are all reported like massive increase in interest and um, any online metrics that you can use to track that kind of thing. You could see the direct spike after Queen's Gambit. Uh, drops that that people were like back into chess mm-hmm. yeah which makes sense based on you know watching it it makes it seem exciting you mm-hmm. know which chess did not seem exciting beforehand <laughs> oh i i mean we will definitely talk about but the editing of the, the oh. chess matches is i like some of them need to be shown in film school about like how do you make something interesting yes uh, like when she plays benny uh in the in the u.s one i think it is or like the heading towards the match with benny mm-hmm. uh like that the editing in that is just so fabulous ah i loved it um the series bounces around to many 1960s settings so mexico city paris uh russia united states but it was mostly filmed in berlin <laughs> which i did not know yeah the set designer said there's actually lots of interior <laughs> locations that are from the 60s that they were able to just redress but it still had the 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 aesthetic look of, uh, of of the era that they were looking for, um, the some of the exterior locations for small town America, uh, suburbia that was shot in Canada, but otherwise okay. it seems it was almost <laughs> exclusively in Berlin. And I really liked this insight. So Carlos Rafael Rivera was the composer, and he was warned that the score was going to have to do a lot of the heavy lifting <laughs> to make chess games emotional for the audience, like to feel the tension, because not everyone's going to like look at the board and immediately know what's in danger and so you got to feel it through music you know that's one of the great tools of filmmaking and he said to reflect beth's growth throughout the series he added more and more instrumentation as her skills progressed so the soundtrack becomes fuller and more complex as her skills are improving i love that and it's one of those things that like you you're not going to note it when you're watching it but you feel it like you're you're getting Mm -hmm. the impact even if you can't like point out what exactly is being done to manipulate manipulate us as an audience right yeah and uh, i I read that bit of trivia before this rewatch for this. And so I was like paying attention. I'm like, Oh, the music actually is different. Like you, as, as it progresses, you get different styles of music happening. Yeah. Now I want to go back and watch it. Just paying attention to the movie or to mm-hmm. the music. Cause, yeah, but, <laughs> but it makes sense. You certainly feel more and more tension when games are going on as the series goes on, I think. And so that part of that tension is probably created through the music. Yeah. And I think there's also, um, 
I, I'd have to go look at how each um, it's done, but I feel like they do quicker cuts in the editing, like more of different angles mm. and quicker. And, and those quicker cuts do increase for an audience, right. think, the, a sense of tension. Whereas like her first, her first uh, state championship game, I don't, I, I'd have to go look again, but you know, there's not much in the way of cutting in my memory, but by the time you're to these later ones, it's, you're getting like eight different angles on screen at the same time of chess pieces <laughs> and, and, you know, fades and, and all sorts of interstitial special effects that are making it feel more frenetic. Right. Even though it's just a chessboard <laughs> that's yeah. sitting right there. Um, after the Netflix series became a huge success, the rights to adapt the book into a Broadway musical were quickly secured. So you can look for that to happen sometime in the next few years. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I, I, I don't know I, how you pull off a, a I musical. Mean, there's the Broadway about musical chess. chess like but, that one already okay. exists. Yeah. <laughs> and there's a couple of songs from chess that I really quite enjoy. I've never seen uh, the whole thing, but I, I, I've heard so. Uh, the whole soundtrack and some of the songs are really fantastic in that one. But yeah. Uh, but, but at the same time, I'd also immediately thought like what a role for like a young up and coming actress to be the lead of right. Queen's Gambit. Like, I don't know who it would be, but that's such a meaty role that it feels like there's not enough of that kind of role on Broadway for mm-hmm. an actress of that age. Um, Scott Frank, the director, he said that he, he like when they were talking about, the film or, or the uh, the miniseries, he kept saying, I want a, Maria, a Marielle Heller type actress to play Beth's mom. And in the end, he just cast Marielle Heller. <laughs> and she's amazing. I can't imagine oh, another actress in this role. Fantastic. There's and so the, much... we should clarify the adopted mom. Yes, the adopted not, mother. Not yeah. birth mom. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. Uh, the, the cast in this is amazing, uh, you know, throughout. I, I can't think of like a misfire. No. Yeah, I, I can't think of anyone I would change off the... Now, I haven't read the book, so I I can't compare to, like, descriptions of people in the book, but they all work in the miniseries. And the last note that I wanted to say, and maybe, um, I, I guess a slight trigger warning, upon its release, the series was praised for its empathetic portrayal of substance abuse and mental health challenges. There's a lot uh, yes. that these characters are going to go through um, in terms of addiction, <laughs> of, uh, of alcohol and of tranquilizers, and a lot of mental health things are... I guess maybe acknowledged more than uh, directly talked about, which in the 1960s mm-hmm. is exactly how it would have been. Right. Yep. <laughs> like, yeah. We, we were not talking about mental health in the, in the sixties as a culture, I think the way uh, we do now, but it's interesting where you, you see it happening and it, it's always like, like there's an empathy there, but also like a frustration that be felt simultaneously. Like mm-hmm. some of uh, Beth's substance abuse just feels so self-destructive and it's like, we want you mm-hmm. to be better, Definitely. but you can also understand because we've seen her whole life, why these are the choices she's making. Right. All right. Well, before we move on to the plot summary, listeners, we want to thank you for listening. And we especially want to thank those of you who support us on Patreon. If you'd like to support us financially, we invite you to go to patreon.com slash protagonist and support our show with at least a dollar per month. All supporters on Patreon at any level receive access, uh, special access to our quick casts, which are shorter episodes in which we talk about the media that we've been consuming that we are not yet covering as full episodes of the podcast. We will also begin giving updates of our fantasy box office for 2022. Fingers crossed that that keeps going. <laughs> All patrons who support us with $5 per month or more get to choose a topic for us to discuss as well. All right. Well, Virginia, you were kind enough to write up the summary for, for this, which I very much appreciated because at, when we talked about this, I we were both like, well, we got to talk about Beth Harmon. Like there's like when I said, I want you to come on, this was an immediate, like obvious Beth Harmon is such a great character uh, and it feels like instantly an iconic role uh, mm-hmm. that was portrayed, but then it was, Ooh, can we summarize seven hours? <laughs> you know, for this, we're going to try. You said, you said, I'll take a stab at it. I was like, okay. <laughs> well, so, cause really, I, how, yeah. <laughs> you know, well, how I mean, do you it, pick and choose between, you know, just a couple episodes or one episode? Yeah. Uh, cause if yeah. you want, you like you, it feels like, well, let's talk about the last episode, but so much of it is foundationally coming in those earlier episodes. Right. And it's not like one episode is where the foundation's being laid. It's like, no, this one character showed up here. We don't see them right. before episodes. And now they're, they're huge now. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, here we go. Deep breath. <laughs> I'll take a moment. <laughs> yes. All right. Uh, the Queen's Gambit begins when Hef- Beth Harmon is about nine years old. There does seem to be a couple discrepancies about whether she's nine or eight, but that's, Anyway, about nine years old. Uh, She's orphaned following the death of her mother um, after her mother steered her car into an oncoming truck. 
We learned through a series of flashbacks that Beth's mother, Alice, had received a PhD from Cornell in mathematics and was obviously very bright, but also suffered from mental illness. It appears that Alice isolated herself uh, and Beth from Beth's father, who subsequently remarried and had another family and refused to care for Beth. Uh, at the orphanage, uh, Beth is befriended by another orphan named Jolene, who is introduced to, uh, and she's also introduced to tranquilizer pills, which were used at that time to help keep children calm. Uh, she also learns chess from a janitor, Mr. Scheibel, and has visions of games on the ceiling after taking the tranquilizers. However, when the school stops giving out the pills, she goes into withdrawals and eventually steals a bottle of pills and begins swallowing them in handfuls. She survives, but the episode, uh, or she survives the episode, but it is forbidden from playing chess afterwards. Uh, Beth is eventually adopted by Mr. and Mrs. Wheatley of Lexington, Kentucky, when she is 13. She is to be a companion to Mrs. Wheatley uh, because she's often ill. When Beth learns that Mrs. Wheatley takes tranquilizers, Beth steals some of her pills. She is teased at school because of her clothes and her intelligence, but then she enters the Kentucky uh, State Chess Championship. Despite being unrated and not understanding tournament rules in play, she wins each round quickly, and she eventually beats a handsome man named Towns, and then Harry Beltick, who is the Kentucky State Champion. Mr. Wheatley then abandons the family, and after her adopted mother Alma realizes how talented Beth is, and that she can make money by winning chess tournaments, she becomes Beth's manager and helps her travel to additional tournaments in and around the U.S. And I absolutely love the scene of her calling the school and making up illnesses that Beth has <laughs> so that Beth can attend these, yes. <laughs> these tournaments. Um, Beth competes at the U.S. Open when she is 16 years old. She sees Towns there, who appears to be there with a boyfriend, and she talks to Benny Watts, a child chess prodigy and the current U.S. champion. Benny points out an error that she made in a previous game, and when she plays him in the final match of the tournament, she is so caught up in her own head that Benny surprises her and beats her in her first major loss. Soon after, Beth and Mrs. Wheatley travel to Mexico City for an international tournament, where Beth will face the Russians for the first time, including Vasily Borgov, the world champion. She overhears the Russians speaking in an elevator, and Borgov points out that despite her weaknesses, she is an orphan and a survivor like them. When she plays him, she cannot keep up with his attack and has a demoralizing loss. When she returns to her room, she suffers a more devastating loss as she finds her adopted mother dead of hepatitis. She calls Mr. Wheatley to tell him, and he tells Beth to handle the funeral arrangements and that she can keep the house if she makes the mortgage payments. We see Beth drinking frequently at this point and buying huge amounts of tranquilizers while she's in Mexico, since she didn't need a prescription to do it there. Back in so Kentucky, much tranquilizer usage. Oh, yes. <laughs> There's a lot of a lot of tranquilizers, vast quantities there. Um, back in Kentucky, Harry Beltick offers to give Beth some formal chess training so that she can stand up to the Russian players. Harry moves into her house temporarily, and they spend weeks studying and playing chess. Harry reveals his feelings for her. However, it is clear that she is not emotionally invested in him, and he has nothing left to teach her, so he leaves. Beth then attends the U.S. Championship, where she has a rematch with Benny Watts, and she beats him. After the winter ceremony, Benny offers to have her stay with him in New York to help her prepare for upcoming tournaments in Paris and Moscow as the U.S. Championship, uh, champion, and Beth accepts. Beth stops drinking and they study Borgov's games, and Beth starts to beat Benny consistently, even when they play speed chess. They have a physical relationship, but Benny seems more focused on chess than on her. Beth leaves for Paris, where she stays focused and wins her first several matches. The evening before a rematch with Borgov, a friend convinces her to have a drink, which turns into several drinks in a night of partying. She arrives late and unfocused to the match, and the next morning or the next morning and loses again to Borgov. She returns alone to Kentucky and spends weeks spiraling out of control with pills and drinking while refusing to talk to anyone, even Harry or Benny. She follows through on a commitment to attend the Kentucky State Championship, but she cannot play and she worries that she is damaging her mind. Finally, her friend Jolene from, from the orphanage comes to her house and tells her that Mr. Scheibel has died. She reluctantly goes to the funeral and then the orphanage, and she breaks down when she realizes that he had followed her career. Jolene helps her to stop drinking and take care of herself again, and gives her the money so that she can attend the Moscow Invitational. She wins several games while staying sober and even throwing, throws away her tranquilizers. And after each round, her fans in Russia increase. In the final game against Borgov, Beth plays the Queen's Gambit, and the game eventually has to adjourn. 
She sees Towns there, who is covering the tournament for a newspaper, and she then receives a phone call from Benny, who has assembled Harry and other chess associates to analyze her game. When play resumes, Beth is able to visualize the game without tranquilizer pills and eventually beats Borgov, following her refusal of a draw offer. Borgov, Borgov hugs her, and there is tremendous applause for her inside and outside the hall. On the drive back to the airport, Beth tells the car to stop, and she walks to a nearby park where locals are playing chess. They recognize her and invite her to play. The end. Oh, that was very good. It was uh, tight, but it hit all the key parts. Um, and like I was able to follow all that narrative. So much of what I love about this okay. is in like the visuals and how they present things, and also in Anya Taylor Joy's performance, which is uh, stunning. Yeah. <laughs> like just yes. an amazing performance. But you were able to encapsulate those key be- uh, those those key parts of the story. So thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> I tried. Um, <clears throat> I guess when I when I think about this, the the first thing that stands out to me as I'm like, what makes Beth Harmon so interesting? is how flawed she is, but how we as an audience are still invested in her success like mm-hmm. all, all the way through. Um, like as a prodigy, she could easily slip into kind of like the chosen one role, like a Harry Potter or, or, you know, a Katniss Everdeen where you like, you kind of expect them to be competent at every task that fall, you know, that comes before them. That right. is not Beth Harmon. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> um, she, she's full of flaws and weaknesses uh, in, in the choices she makes as she falls prey to substance abuse in how she treats people who are trying to help her. Um, mm-hmm. And, and yet so much of it is rooted in the story that we've been shown about her life that you understand and you empathize and you're rooting for her to overcome. Right. Within it. And, I, and that's why I think like if you did a two hour movie adaptation, like we wouldn't have that whole orphanage storyline about her addiction to tranquilizer that was induced by the state basically mm-hmm. right uh and and we wouldn't uh be given all these all these opportunities for her to form these connections see her break those connections and then see them reconnect in a way that that is as satisfying as it is in this one mm-hmm. um but for you what makes this stand out what makes beth Harmon interesting um i think like you said you know that she is so flawed but we see growth you know, mm-hmm. I mean, she really is like kind of a true protagonist where she has an arc and we see um, ups and downs of her life. You know, we see times where she seems to be getting it together. Right. And and that success is building. And then she does in most situations, inevitably sort of self-destruct. And it really is, you know, in most cases, self-destructive. It's not from external forces, mm-hmm. um, you know, honor. But but then she also never gives up, right? She keeps, you know, trying to kind of, you know, she'll, she'll go back down into that, that hole or that abyss, but then she keeps trying to come back out of it and improve. And, and also just seeing her complete passion and focus for chess. You know, I, I don't know that everyone has something in their lives that they're just so completely drawn to and passionate about and that she's just, willing to study and and learn as much as she can and you know and and so just to kind of see that um and kind of follow that you i think that's what makes you root for her you know is that you want her to be successful because you see how strong a hold it has over her you know what chess is in her life yeah i like that um i think sometimes with uh well <laughs> i mean with, with real people but also with characters sometimes like their their hobby becomes their character trait uh, and I think they very successfully have like her obsession and her fascination with chess be a part of who she is. But that's not like the, w- when we're going to try to describe Beth Harmon, it's not like chess player. Right. <laughs> right. It is, uh, you know, someone who's uh, passionate and flawed and, uh, you know, prone to some some mood swings. You know, like there's so much more to her <laughs> than just chess player. Yes. And, and to to be able to ride that line of like having all of her like free time interests be like reading chess books and make you root for this character. That's a nice, nice, nice uh, trick that's been pulled off. I will say also her sense of style or whoever her stylist oh, was for the show is, is so good. fabulous. The buildings, <laughs> the like her mom's bedroom. 
or oh. Dr. Mom's bedroom. <laughs> like that one's not stunning. Like when they're, when they're traveling to the hotels, that's where I'm like, oh, this just looks so cool. But like the Dr. Mom's bedroom, it just feels like so like of that moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, and like the set designer, I'm sure must've just been having a blast. <laughs> but also way. just her designer. I mean, her, you know, we see her love of fashion and style and, and see that develop as she gets older and that she's, you know, just very much aware of that. And it's, yeah, just to watch it visually um, is really fun, you know, to see it reflect the time, but also be very stylish and, and just, you know, I think it um, it's maybe not what you'd expect. You'd expect the chess player to maybe be a little more nerdy or a little, you know, to not care about something like fashion. Right. And her um, hairstyle, and So that's too. just a fun um, kind of a fun element of her that I think makes her a little more well-rounded than mm-hmm. what you might expect. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Um, and I love that she remains centered, but we meet so many interesting characters that are fully formed. Uh, even if we're only seeing them for a half episode, uh, mm-hmm. here and there, uh, I, I think we should definitely take a little bit of time to talk about her, her mother, um, who I think we can all identify as having depression <laughs> without yes. being medical professionals or, <laughs> you know, qualified. This is a portrayal of someone struggling with depression. Mm-hmm. Or perhaps even a bipolar, mm-hmm. um, you know, because we see at least one, scene, you know, kind of happy, happy moments. It's clear that Beth very much loved her and that there was affection and a connection and um, things like that, you know, but we also see like the scar on her wrist um, yeah. that she clearly had tried to commit suicide previously and mm-hmm. that, you know, there were- And it's ruined her marriage, clearly, it's driven her husband yeah. away, which I'm not defending the husband at all. The husband right. is a jerk. <laughs> He isn't, he's well, not a but, good man. <laughs> but she did not make it easy. Yeah. And that's clear, you know, uh-huh. that, yeah. And, but, but like within that portrayal, there's these moments that I just absolutely adore. So like when uh, Beth has gone to the state championship and she has her first period and she doesn't like, she doesn't know what to do <laughs> with menstruation. Like this is new uh, and, and frightening for her. And when she comes home and her mom is just kind of listlessly playing at the piano, um, and she explains and again, what switching to the adopted mom. Oh, yeah. Sorry. The, the adopted the mom. birth mom. <laughs> yeah. uh, 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 the, her adopted mom is listlessly playing at the piano, but then Beth tells her what's happened. And, and the, you can see like a switch turn. She's like, okay, I can do this. And she's like, I will teach you <laughs> what needs to be done. Yeah. At this like this is she my says, role. I can, I can be a mother. I can yes. learn to be a mother. Uh-huh. Um, and, and yeah, I love that moment so much. Cause she's finding the strength and, um, I'm I'm not going to say that she's a perfect mother, but there is absolutely love and affection between her and Beth. Yes. Uh, yes. And, and support. Um, and it is, uh, you know, both ways where, okay, there's love and affection and support, but Beth ends up supporting her <laughs> financially. Yeah. Uh, because, because of her winnings. But the mom is like, so pushing Beth to be the best. And mm-hmm. I, I think there's moments where you can feel like, okay, is she doing this? Like, is there a mercenary aspect of this where like, she's, enticed by the money but it also you can see like she has real pride in what beth is becoming um and and the skill that she possesses and it does seem to light a fire in her uh that was so absent when you know every time beth walked in she was just eating the tv dinner or again playing playing at the piano and that was kind of it yeah yeah i was gonna say but i i never got the feeling from from the adopted mother from Alma that she would love Beth any less if mm-hmm. she lost. Yes. Or, oh, yeah. Well, and she, she's there for her when she loses, you know, I, it, and this it, is, it does, oh. it never feels like she's one of those parents, right. That's just managing their children's career or their sports, mm-hmm. you know, career or whatever mom, kind of. as, you know, as a way of getting ahead and making or money. reliving it, my glory days. Or... Right. And I never get that sense from her. I mm-hmm. always just get a sense of sort of genuine affection and yeah. she wants to support Beth. I just think there's she probably um, would have been just as happy supporting her in something else. Yes. You know, that. Yeah, I absolutely agree. It's just after the the her husband has left, there's like, a, how are we actually going to like support ourselves? And it's like, oh, mm-hmm. this prize money is actually enough. Yeah, at at that time, in order to pay off a house. That <laughs> way, which is amazing. Do... You know? Yeah, the house was like seven thousand dollars, is what we're told. <laughs> like at a certain point, he's like, I put seven thousand dollars in this house. That, that was it. And she just <laughs> writes him a check for the house. You know, yeah. like who knew chess paid so well? Yes. <laughs> so. Um. And there's also in in seeing that that love and sport, there are still those moments of frustration that I think feels really earned. Like after Beth loses, 
mm-hmm. and the mom is trying to console her and Beth just kind of lashes out like you don't even understand chess and yeah the mom just kind of says I know what loss is <laughs> and well and beth is like i bet you do you know yeah, it's like yeah, a like very kind of snarky bit, but then they give yeah. you the uh like the return that like this isn't like the end of the relationship like they haven't fractured anything this is just what happens in parent mm-hmm. teenager relationships that there are those moments of frustration where you cut too deep um yeah. but the, isn't like the next shot them like leaning on each other in the airplane on the flight home where yeah we go from that fight that's a little too cutting but they both cross lines mm-hmm. um and but then the next shot is them and and i just think that's a such an excellent bit of visual storytelling to say so much about their relationship yes however we'll point out that she was the one initially who got beth drinking so there is that yes is, i know i mean i i know also, why she was doing it I think she was just doing it to kind of bond with her and be like the cool mom, right? You yeah. know, like here, just have a sip of this martini mm-hmm. or have a sip of this beer just to sort of, it's a young, cool thing to do, you know, just to experience it. But it does put Beth on this path towards alcoholism mm-hmm. um, that will plague her for, you know, quite a bit of time. And I will just say the mom is maybe a little too unaware of what's happening to her tranquilizer prescriptions. Yes. <laughs> right? Like, like she brings up the bottle like, and it's like, oh, they only fill it half full yeah, now. Why don't they <laughs> fill these bottles up all the way? You should look into that a little more closely. <laughs> right. <laughs> but I, she wouldn't have known Beth's background, yeah. you know, or that, that, you know, suspected that Beth had an addiction to those coming in. Mm-hmm. So, Yeah. Um, what other characters uh, stand out to you in the in this series? Um, well, you know, kind of Jolene is mm-hmm. definitely one. I mean, she just the screen loves her. She, you know, every time she's on the screen, she just has this sort of pop and personality. Um, oh, when she returns in the last episode. Yes. It it's just, like, oh, just her on screen. It's like, oh, yes, this is what Beth needs. I didn't know this yes. is what she needed, but it is absolutely the connection she needs again. Yeah. I, you know, and they talk about, you know, that being in the orphanage together, they really had become like sisters, but we don't see her after what, episode two until yeah. almost the very end of the series. Like she's just sort of gone from mm-hmm. the whole series. And then all of a sudden she's there again. And it's so refreshing. And like you said, it just feels like a, ah, this was something that was missing for Beth, you know, was, was a relationship like that. Someone who knew her young and, and, you know, kind of knew where she came from. Um, so I love her. Uh, and then all the, the chess, fa- you know, the, the kind of the club she gathers of like Harry and I can, what Benny. is it? Mark, Mark and Matt or and the, the, like yeah, the, the two twins. guys that are. And then there's Towns who. <laughs> towns. It was hard to get a, a read on Towns, I will yes. say. <laughs> <laughs> like that is one character we're like, oh, what is he pursuing here? <laughs> exactly. I don't, I, it's never entirely because it, it feels I, like he's trying yeah. to seduce her but then it also looks like we're being told he's gay right and it's yeah. it's just not clear are we supposed to read him as bisexual or what like like it, it did leave a question mark there yes yeah and then at the end he's like i just want us to be friends but then he's staying in the hotel room with her i i don't know what's happening <laughs> so, you know. yeah. um uh and benny i think is the one that probably is the most like her or that she sees the most of herself in in terms of a chess player Mm -hmm. you know that like he was a prodigy and and things come quickly to him that they have that moment where she asks him something about you know do you ever see chess games in your head and he's like well doesn't everyone you know (laughs) and and so i think in that she sees herself in him um and kind of connects with him that way oh what is that actor's name I don't know. He's looking, in all sorts of things and you he, see him and you go, Oh, that guy again. You yes, know? <laughs> he's one of those that guy actors. But but right? like from a child. Because he's yes. not that old now. Oh, but it's no, just like, oh, I've seen him in so many things. Forever. Yeah. Yeah, and he's supposed to be several years older than her. And I'm sorry, he does not look like he's seven. No, he's gonna be like a Timothy Chalamet, where it's like you can just play <laughs> seventeen years old for the next decade and it's not gonna right. feel weird. Unlike some actors who play seventeen when they're twenty seven, it's like, no, you can't do that. Stop. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, but he and Timothy Chalamet could be like playing brothers that are, you know, going through adolescence age. into adulthood just, and it'd be like, yeah, never gonna this age. all works. <laughs> um, I, I saw a description of his character as every a uh, walking red flag I've ever seen at a Comic-Con. 
<laughs> because he wears all like this leather duster and a cowboy hat and he, he has this affectation of carrying a knife with him everywhere yes and then, like the shirt that's open just a little too much yeah the the big chunky silver rings like the big chunky silver jewelry you know and yeah um yes <laughs> again whoever had fun styling him kudos you know because he's he's a very memorable look um there let's see i'm looking up what like what are the some of the like oh that guy this uh stuff that we know him from so love actually nanny mcphee um yeah you uh, know him like since a kid wasn't he in one of the the uh peter pans or something like that or um, oh was he know. in the uh i'm trying to think the the one with about the writing of peter pan was he in that one or was that a different one it, like there was that group of young british actors he that, seems like, like he should have been if he wasn't <laughs> right yeah. he just has that look of like a lost boy um, we showed up as a cameo in Star Wars: The Force Awakens, but so many British actors did because they were filming in England. <laughs> like, oh, you want to be stormtrooper? You want to be? Uh... Had no idea. Yeah, um, but yeah, you feel like you've been seeing him for years, like mm-hmm. your whole life. You've been seeing him in various shows and roles and things like that. And I think he's his relationship with Beth, like it, both. Um, oh, who was the Neville Longbottom character's name? Suddenly, I'm blanking on. Oh, it. Harry, Harry Beltic. Yeah, Her- Beltic and Benny. And the twins and even towns, it feels like one reason why we need Jolene back is all these men are interested in her primarily because of her chess skills initially, right? That's that's yes. like their their avenue in. But then I, it feels like they're all more invested with the idea of Beth than actually who Beth is. And and I I think that's why like Beltic like realizes at a certain point, like I I've I've learned who I am and I'm I'm learning who you are and this is not going to work. Right. <laughs> and so yeah. we're going to stop. But he loved the idea of Beth Harmon. Uh, right. You know, and being in a relationship with the chess prodigy, you know, the, the most brilliant woman that he'd ever met. Uh, and basically. she's quite attractive. But, yes. you know, as she oh, gets yeah. older, I mean, Towns talks about that, you know, mm-hmm. like you're very pretty now. You've grown yeah. up and and, you know, they get to kind of watch her grow up and become more and more stylish and attractive and things and, like and that. And when Benny but... has his turn to mentor her, he says very clearly, like, no sex. Right. This is just about chess. But then half an episode later, like, like, do you still like my hair? You know? Yes, he does fall that for her line. in the end. It becomes about sex, and yeah. so, and I think that's why it was so important for like this big reset after she had gone into such an abyss. And mm-hmm. I think like hero's journey tracking wise, you can see episodically moments where she's like falling into the abyss and then ascending. Mm-hmm. But on the series as a whole, that next to last episode is just all about descent into an abyss. Uh, yes. and like Harry tries to reach out to her betty tries to call her i think and, and mm-hmm. like no one is gonna be able to do it but then jolene yeah. shows up and that's who is able to help pull her out of the abyss that she's she's fallen into uh and i think it's because it's just a friendship right mm-hmm. <laughs> there, there's no uh no romance no you know nothing at all it's just a friendship of someone who has known me before i was beth Harmon, chess prodigy right and i think somebody who who does genuinely know her and is still there you know like what like you said when like harry kind of really got to know her and saw her prickliness shall we say you know then it it kind of like turned him off a little bit or or made him sort of you know back away and 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 some of the others i think as they really get to know her it's it's not the idea of her right it's you know there are some flaws and there are Mm -hmm. some issues there but jolene knows the whole her and still is there for her yeah um and yeah so i you know she needs that just somebody who's truly there for her flaws and everything and in saying this about those men and like why you know that they all kind of have to back away from a a relationship with beth it's still that moment of the phone call (laughs) it it like is emotionally impactful to see them all together supporting her Um, yeah i I, I mean, obviously, the last episode for me is just sort of, it's where everything comes together. It's just such a well-crafted episode in that scene. Um, but more than that, that you know, then it's just uh, all these people that she's known, all these men that she's known and things like that. I think at one point, I don't remember which episode it was, but I think it was maybe Benny was talking about how the Russians play chess as a team. Mm-hmm. Right. That somebody yeah, plays a game and, and they come back and they consult yeah. and they talk and they strategize you know, together. Like, uh, they have the and, number one in the world, number two in the world, number three in the world, number four in the world, and they travel together and they right. watch each other's games. 
and and he talks about you know that in comparison to the U.S. players who are all competitive with each other. They're always going against each other. There's no cooperation. There's no teamwork. There's no even sense of that. So to see in that final episode, the Americans get that sense of teamwork, right? Mm -hmm. That they're and that Beth is the one they're all rallying around. Yeah, she's the center of this web, right? Yeah, but like and that it creates this thing that the Russians have had all along and was part of the Russian success was that they had teamwork Mm -hmm. in chess, which is kind of a weird concept since (laughs) it seems like an individual game, but that's what ultimately made Beth successful was the teamwork, the camaraderie that came out of, you know, kind of all these relationships she had built along the way. Um, And, and I don't know that that could have happened though, if it was a guy competing at the end it doesn't feel like you know in a way <laughs> you you kind of you needed it to be a female chess player to kind of attack you know for all these male it's a male dominated sport and you kind of needed the female to kind of attach all of these men and create this sort of bond to her that then led to this teamwork you know that ultimately worked yeah and it's so satisfying and the other moment that I just absolutely love in that final episode. And I remember watching it with Emily uh, when we got to it and she goes back to the chessboard. And I just remember saying, look to the ceiling, look to the ceiling. Yes. <laughs> and and when she, she looks, looks up, ceiling. I'm like, oh, she's got it. <laughs> she's totally winning this chess match. And it is, I, I don't know how I became so invested that like I had like this very real emotional, like, yeah, like fist pumping action when she glanced upwards. <laughs> like, and, and she I can see Noy's eyes. It was there. Are, you her know, eyes finally. are so evocative, right? Like, oh, her, yes. She just has almost like anime size eyes, it feels like, you know? Yes. Like, and some of that I'm sure is the makeup and things they do to accent it, but her, her eyes are a huge asset to her acting. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and but just to see those eyes flick up and jumping back to all the way at the orphanage, like the first time she's looking at the ceiling and seeing the chess pieces move around. Right. Um, it's, uh, you know, it, it pays off something that we've invested, you know, these seven or eight hours or however long it is across all the episodes together um, and, and bookends all the way back to this this first moment of her falling in love with chess. Mm hmm. Yeah. And I, I have to say, too, I actually really liked Borgoff as a character. Mm-hmm. He's not one, you know, if we put together his total minutes on a screen, it probably isn't a lot. Um, <laughs> no, it's got to be less but, than 20, right? But I feel like he has such an impact on her, you know, kind of driving her like he's. And really, if you think of a hero's journey, he's like that father figure, literally, mm-hmm. you know, that that she's oh. trying to. <laughs> There's some father issues. Which, (laughs) yes, definitely some father. But I feel like he's kind of in that role. And I absolutely love that scene where he resigns and he hands her the piece and then pulls her up into a hug. Mm -hmm. And it just feels so satisfying to me in that moment, you know, in that. Um, it's slightly different from maybe a traditional hero's journey where you're, you know, <laughs> you're killing, vanquishing the killing the father and, or, or, you know, or, I mean, or American Cold over. War storytelling where it's like Rocky and Ivan Drago. It's, you know, <laughs> right. we're not getting that. <laughs> yeah, it, it feels um, much more, you know, like he's been almost this sort of shadow mentor through the whole series. And then suddenly, you know, she gets that moment of having beat him. Um, but he's so gracious about mm-hmm. it. And, and I, said, I really liked his character all the way through. Well, you said he's kind of like a stand-in for a father figure. It made me think, I think the first time we see him, he's taking his son to the zoo mm-hmm. in Mexico City, right? Yep. And he is in this paternal act yeah. as she's observing from across the way. And he turns and makes eye contact with her. Mm-hmm. But like he's, he, like he, on the one hand, he is a very like stereotypically serious Russian, <laughs> right? You know, like, like yeah, there, but there does feel not... like some coldness on the demeanor, but the first time we see him, he, like he's crouching down and talking to his son and right. you feel like affection and warmth. Mm-hmm. It, it, that isn't that part of the stereotypical uh, American portrayals of, of cold war Russians. Well, and in that elevator scene, he's kind of defending her when the mm-hmm. others are really kind of ripping her apart. You know, they're talking about how she's a drunk and she's an orphan. And and he's the one that kind of steps in and, and sort of defends her and says, no, she's a survivor, you know, and we need to watch out for that. And you need to not, um, you know, belittle her or, or dismiss. Think, think, yeah, dismiss her. Um, that we need to to pay attention to her, you know, and I think he almost feels like a pride when she beats him, um, that 
he's watched her, it- you know, kind of grow up and he's he's almost happy. Yeah. about the fact that she's kind of gotten it together so that she mm-hmm. could beat him. Oh, because she he saw her at a very low point in Paris. Yes. Uh, oh, yeah. When that's she comes what, out drunkenly. And that's where the, remember, that's where the whole story starts, mm-hmm. right? Is the very first episode starts with, you know, kind of cutting to that Yeah, her swearing as she Paris. runs downstairs in a yeah. panic. Uh, <laughs> and going to play him. Yeah. And, and then so we he see really does see In the her. sixth episode, yeah. it's at the beginning of the sixth episode, right? Like right before her, her full spiral that uh you know she loses that game and then goes right. home and she there's this moment where she's trying to get her act together when she goes home she's like setting chess aside and she's gonna take care of the house right and she's taking care of herself and is almost successful until she goes out to a restaurant and the waiter asks if she wants uh a cocktail and she says no but then she's like maybe a gibson mm, and then okay <laughs> which was her mom's favorite drink yeah. right her adopted mom's favorite that, drink. that was the first drink she gave her in the yeah. uh in the airplane right yeah it might have been i think so and so uh then it's just such and i mean it's horrifying to watch but i part of me was like anya taylor joy must have had fun (laughs) you know playing (laughs) like drunk out of her mind falling over dancing to music that's you know but not really the makeup oh that makeup was just horrid the line under her (laughs) eye what was that how did no one (laughs) and and when the there there's a girl that sees her who was the very first person she played against in that first tournament. Yeah. And she kind of sees her and and you can see she's just sort of taken aback by what she's become, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's the start of a wake up call for her yeah. is, you know, kind of seeing that other girl's reaction to her um, where she used to so look up to Beth. And you then know, uh, and, Harry is out like right yeah. after that girl, she sees Harry and Harry's like, you remind me of my dad. Who was a drunk? He wasn't an angry drunk, but he was a drunk. And you smell like him and your skin looks like his skin. Right. Not not a great thing to hear (laughs) for her in that moment. But that still didn't snap her out of it Mm. until Jolene came. And she had to go kind of back to the orphanage and, you know, those early days of learning chess. And that's what finally kind of breaks her out of it was having to go back. There, I will say the uh, they do something with the orphanage scenes at the very beginning where she's learning chess, where they were very careful because your initial sense of danger for a young girl in a creepy basement yes. with with a man <laughs> yes. is that this is going to go <laughs> like the worst thing that can happen to a child is going to happen to this girl. And it never does. And there's never like from the acting and the editing, there's never that threat doesn't feel present. It's no. only from like our cultural association with this setting. Uh, and, we're, you know, this is where she gets the mentor that is going to not only teach her chess and introduce her to the world of chess through like the high school coach that he connects her with. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then also he's the one that sends her the money that lets her enter the first tournament that she's able to enter. Right. Um, and like this one person taking an interest in in her life absolutely you know is the impetus like this is the call to action is is her seeing this chessboard down there and him actually saying all right i'll teach you and i i just want to compliment the series for it never feeling creepy (laughs) i guess yeah i i actually read something about that where the they do sort of subvert your expectations right like you said you know you kind of you see her going to an orphanage, you see her going into a basement, you think, you know, these things are not going to end up well, right? You know, mm-hmm. is the the mistress of the orphanage going to be this, you know, monster who's just going to abuse all the kids, right? And especially when they start being given tranquilizers, you know, or going into the basement with a guy who, you know, but it ends up teaching her chess and, and having her learn something or even the adopted father. Is he going to be creepy? What's going on with, you know, but I, so they, he's they awful, like, just not in that way. <laughs> they play with your expectations where you're sort of trained to think, uh Oh, this situation isn't going to go well. Yeah, red flags left, and right. you know, or that the Russian is going to be this big, bad monster, right? Mm-hmm. You know, this it's a Russian in the 1960s. You know, or even or Benny, like, like the way he presents himself, you think he's going to be like, I, I mean, you could definitely see that person being like a sex crazed person going after like anyone who's a fan of him. And he's the one that says the ground rules of no sex. Right. <laughs> <You know? For laughs> and he's so focused on chess, you know, uh-huh. so so that was the point was kind of they do play with 
those expectations that they know audiences have sort of built in, you know, just out of seeing shows over and over present those situations and, and sadly in a certain news way. articles. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but, and, but then they never go there. Right. Mm-hmm. They, they never take you down that path. And instead all the drama comes from her, from her own choices and her own behavior. She creates all the drama. Mm-hmm. Um, rather than these external situations creating the drama. Right. Except for I will still uh, condemn the orphanage for giving tranquilizers to children constantly. But again, <laughs> it truly was a thing for the yes. time period. Yeah, it, it was yeah, not like yes, malicious. Yes, we look this at it in we... horror. Yeah, yeah, but for the time <laughs> but, period, they were not trying to be cruel. You but know, as soon as you anything. see it, like as a modern audience, you're like, oh no, no, no. What, yeah. what is this? <laughs> well, or that they wouldn't realize you know, there's going to be withdrawals when they suddenly take all these oh, yes, kids yeah. off of tranquilizers. <laughs> they, they give it to them, but then they, they cold turkey they an entire cold... orphanage yes. of children from a drug that they've hooked them on for daily doses. Right. <laughs> and really, and it was, I think, Jolene after that, she's like, there's going to be some jumpy kids here in the next few days, you know, or something like that. Jolene really is like a sage voice of wisdom. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> Uh, well, anything else about this uh, miniseries that you want to make sure we touch on in this discussion? Um, I know. I think we've covered a lot of it. It just really is. Oh, well, I, the last scene. What do you make of the last scene? I did want to bring that oh, up. Oh, and see out like, on the, uh, where the kids ask her to play chess, right? Well, she, it, yeah, she goes, she leaves. So the, she has someone from the state department accompanying her because she's in moscow in the 1960s and they you know need to make sure that all goes right and that everything's scripted and um and i think he's going over sort of the agenda you know if she's going to meet with the president she's going to do this and she just gets out of the car and walks to this park where all of these old russian men are playing chess you know just Mm -hmm. open games um, and they all recognize her and, and, you know, shake her hand. And then there's one guy sitting by a board and she goes, you know, and he kind of glances at her an invitation and she just sits down and says, let's play. Mm-hmm. And that's how it ends, you know? Right. So I just was curious what your thoughts are on yeah. where does it go from there? Like what would be her next steps, you know, from there or why did they choose to end it that way? I think in part it's because uh, when Harry is coaching her, they go through kind of like the worst case of like real world chess masters, grandmasters who kind of mm-hmm. drive themselves crazy with their obsession with chess and particularly with like competitive chess. Um, and I I feel like her, what we're seeing there is a moment of her like taking joy in chess instead of mm-hmm. being burdened by chess, which chess has become something that's weighing her down in many ways uh as as the series progresses so i think it's supposed to signal that she's going to have a healthy relationship with chess (laughs) she she can just sit down and play a game uh and um also her stepping out of the car i think is a you, you don't want the last moment of this great character that we've had is like a man taking control of her day and driving her and dictating what's mm-hmm. going to happen. Right. So she needs to be uh, agentive and assertive and step out of the car and do what she wants. And in this case, what she wants is take joy in a game of chess with like a casual game of chess, not mm-hmm. the hyper competitive, uh, you know, pressure cooker world of, uh, you know, world worldwide tournaments with, with grandmasters. Yeah. Well, we also see in Russia, I mean, she's like a rock star. Mm-hmm. You know, and in fact, the uh, the State Department guy at one point told her that, like, you're bigger than I forget who he referenced, but it was a rock star of the time. Right. And, you know, kind of like the Beatles, but it wasn't the Beatles. But, you know, the, but that was the comparison, like you're bigger than them right now. And and so the Russians just had such because they have such an appreciation of chess and a love of it. They had such an appreciation of her. Mm-hmm. And I think she kind of reveled in that a little bit, you know, that yeah. these were people that love and appreciate chess as much as I do. I'm never going to get that in the States. Right? Yeah, because uh, Benny that... says it explicitly. Like if we even if we were playing tennis, we'd have crowds cheering us on. Right. Uh, you know, and like he's kind of saying like tennis isn't one of the big sports. But if we were playing tennis, there'd be a crowd watching us play because we're the best at what we're about to do out here. And instead, we've got. A couple dozen people standing around. Watching oh, and us. that sad like U.S. championship scene. Yes. Uh-huh. You know? 
<laughs> they're they're playing at like it, you know they're staying in some college dorms and they're you know they're playing in like a college gym basically yeah with like and bleachers it's, and it's just side. such a sad <laughs> scene <you know>? <laughs> <laughs> um it, but you know and, and in comparison to that they you know they have the scenes in russia in these sort of grand ballrooms and lofty ceilings and Hundreds of people following well, even the the, uh, the Mexico and, and Paris ones, right? Yeah, yeah, those were it, still bigger. Kind of and, yeah, you can be as good as you know. It is making a clear distinction about the international following of chess versus the American following of chess. Yes, yeah. So, and I do have to comment on her her last look. You know, in that last scene, that they did consciously dress her to look like a white queen. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if you noticed that, but the hat she's wearing has right. this huge like puff on top and this very long kind of sleek white coat. And they were so right. proud of themselves for <laughs> that styling of her to make her look like the white queen. Oh, well, as soon as you um, say it, I don't think I would have identified it. But as soon as you say it, like I have it in my head and it's like, yep. yeah, I had to call that out because like, uh-huh. well, again, well done to the stylist team, you know, whoever was dressing her and styling her just mm-hmm kudos all around because it was fabulous i do also want to shout out we've we've mentioned the architecture and the the design aesthetic and her her costuming and her hair and we talked about the score but i also want to say like the 1960s pop music that they play it's also just fun like it it immediately Mm -hmm. feels right that this teenage girl in those clothes is listening to these groups and that one scene when she goes to like after she wins the state tournament and people realize oh she's actually there's something going on with her. And so she goes to the, like, she gets invited to the high school girls club. I can't remember. It's called like the apple pie club. Or the whatever apple it is. pie club. And, like, <laughs> and they're watching on the TV and I can't remember what song it is. Uh, but some song comes on and all the other girls start singing along immediately. And Beth is just weirded out by this. Yeah. <laughs> like this is not <laughs> my scene. <laughs> right. <laughs> but, but at the same time, we do see her like engage with music and like dance to music. Uh, it's just mm-hmm. this particular performative relationship with music is not who Beth, Beth is. Right. Yeah. Well, and I, I think it shows her that she doesn't follow what, you know, what was typical of the girls of that time, right? That she doesn't mm-hmm. automatically like all the things that they like and, you know, kind of showing that she is different, that she's unique and and it, her own person, right? Her own individual. So, yeah. the, the, I mean, I feel like we could take an entire podcast episode and like talk about the orphanage episode, talk about the high school episode. <laughs> I know. Well, like, and, and yeah, really every episode has its own sort of story arc, but then it all builds to that final episode and those final scenes in Russia. You know, that's just where it all builds to. Yeah. And I mean, we use this all the time when we talk about storytelling where it's like they're setting up the pieces on the board and you know, it's this chess metaphor that we use. Yeah. And I think one thing that happens in this series because it's it's breathing like narratively across so many hours we forget that they set up this chess piece mm-hmm. <laughs> and, th- and that it's there and then it's so rewarding to see that like that payoff all of that, of a that piece there. come back yeah. into play like oh yep. look there, there it is even like the twins showing up in mexico city uh you know the ones that were kind of dismissive <laughs> of her in her first state tournament um it's like oh look th- 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 those guys <laughs> They're, they're everywhere. They're like in Mexico City. They're at the U.S. Championship. They they just keep popping up all over the place. But they are sort of a, a, I think they're the ones you know that carry that common thread right throughout all these tournaments that she goes to. They're just always there and sort of reminding her where she came from and where she started. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh man, that that one high school that they do the state tournament at like it's it's just such different versions of her when she's the naive one going in and not knowing yes. what's going on and then she's this shell of herself <laughs> like yes. just a wreck and 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 that's where the awful makeup is and like mm-hmm. the girl that shows up it's like you're you're an inspiration mm. maybe not <laughs> what happened to you and i you know i think we have to remember too this all happens I think she says what she's like 20 at the end. I mean, this all happens for her as a teenager, basically. Like Um, pretty much five years is her chess career that we're following, right? Yeah. Any teenager's life is a little rough and throw on that Mm -hmm. being this chess prodigy and, you know, and having to kind of learn as you go and things like that. You can give her some slack Mm -hmm. um, for that. 
and not really having the greatest mentors. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, I mean, we've mentioned the father figure issues that exist, uh, but then, you know, her, her mom maybe enables some of her bad behavior. Uh, like when she goes out with a yeah. college boy and the mom just kind of like, just be careful what you smoke. And then she smokes marijuana <laughs> <Like> immediately. <laughs> uh, but then the mom is also like, God, so, so, uh, the mom maybe enabled some bad habits, but the mom was very much a support, but then she gets taken away. Right. You know, it's, it's this yeah. constant, uh, Beth makes a relationship that is in some way helping her or improving her or helping her advance. But then that relationship falls apart, um, mm-hmm. or, or is removed from her, um, through, through death, through her own kind of toxicity at times. Yeah. Uh, and, and so it's, um, this kind of, like we said, each episode has its own little arc very often about like what relationship is going to be defining her right now. And it's probably not going to be there at the end of the episode. <laughs> at the end of the episode. Yeah. That's a good point. Yeah. All right. Well, I just want to give one more shout out to Anya Taylor-Joy's performance as Beth Harmon. Uh, like this is just a perfect match of actress and role at the exact right moment in her career, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And I mean, she's, She's done lots of other things. It's not like this is, you know, her her first role by any means. But it just it felt so right. I, like even like I enjoyed her her performance in Emma, but mm-hmm. I, I I don't feel like oh she's the perfect Emma or like the only one who could play Emma. I I can't think of any other actress at that age that could play, you know, Beth Harmon and no give us what like, what we got yeah. there. No. <laughs> and and so it, it when we're talking about on, on this podcast like great characters, great stories, like I, Beth Harmon absolutely belongs up there in the pantheon of like great characters it's just so fascinating everything uh and, and all the elements of filmmaking come together um mm-hmm. that you know we, we've mentioned the music and and the visual design but also the editing of these chess scenes that could be so boring <laughs> and, well, oh, oh, and you and just the, wouldn't the, care but they, the they take the, the time to figure out how to make this all work and manipulate us in, in the the right way as an audience to, mm-hmm. to feel exactly the emotional beats we're supposed to feel, even if we're not really following the chess game, you know, because who knows, you know, what that rook is really doing over in the corner or whatever. <laughs> I know. Well, and, and uh, kudos to all the announcers that they would have too, right? For each of the, the major tournaments. I loved the different announcers mm-hmm. and, and just their approaches, you know, to talking about it. And, and that was kind of part of the, almost the comic relief of some of the tension was just listening to these announcers talk about it. I don't know why, but I just found it, you know, that that was kind of cutting some of the tension for me um, because they just seemed almost like caricatures. Or the, uh, the the people who are moving uh, like the pieces around the giant board where like they have a giant foam board on (laughs) the wall and they're just lifting up uh, a knight to show everyone where the knight is on the board now. And they they move these giant pieces so that the whole audience can see the, you know, the what you know 14 by 14 board <laughs> yeah. you know inch board um i will just throw out the last bit of trivia oh I, wait there's uh there's some new articles about this okay because the i guess a lawsuit is being carried forward at like within the last hour it's uh this lawsuit that i saw had been filed but there hadn't been any new news on it but within the last hour i'm seeing like a dozen new articles about it so in at the end of queen's gambit one of the announcers um mentions uh a, a female chess grandmaster named uh Gaprindashvili. <laughs> and i have just oh i've heard about this yes yeah. and this, the, uh, the announcer in the show says she's a russian grandmaster but never played men uh and th- this is referencing a real woman who has sued because she defeated many male <laughs> grandmasters well, and they don't and have... also men she, you know and, and women's circuits yeah, right it's i just, mean they, it's all you become one. a grandmaster right. you're playing yeah. best in the world yeah. that's it but she's also suing because she is georgian not russian <laughs> and ah. she did not want to be identified as russian <laughs> in in the queen's gambit uh you know there's although to a be fair relationship. at the time <laughs> yes there was not much of a distinction. Yes, but I will just say a very fraught relationship between yes. Russia. And Understandable Russia. Maybe, for the current circumstances. Yeah, part of the Soviet Union would have been less problematic for her right. than, than yeah. what they did. Uh, but I guess uh, what basically while we're recording, a judge has announced that the lawsuit can carry on because it had just okay. been kind of floating out there in the trivia that I put together yesterday about this. And I was just double checking the name and it's like within the last hour. Yeah, all these new news wow. articles about it. How timely. 
Yeah. All right. Well, I think that is going to wrap up this episode. Uh, if you have not watched it and you do not mind, uh, you know, a, a, a fair number of F-bombs, not like every other word, you know, or anything like that. But uh, if that's something you can handle, I really do recommend this miniseries, The Queen's Gambit. It is phenomenally done. And I just love it when you can see all the aspects of a massive collaborative effort come together to tell the story very well um because everything we've had to praise that's someone else who's applying their creative energies to the costuming to the music to the mm-hmm. editing to you know to the directing to the acting and this really does show how working together you get something that's really special that wraps up this episode thank you for joining us for show notes and links to all the other great dueling genre shows you can go to duelinggenre.com also please subscribe to the protagonist podcast in your podcast app of choice and please leave us a review that really helps us out we'd like to thank scott Tofty who composed our theme music you can reach us by emailing feedback at protagonistpodcast.com or us on twitter you can follow at protagonistpod or at jay Dorowski. and our producer andrew is at disminute and our facebook fan page is facebook.com slash protagonistpodcast and dueling genre also has a discord channel where you can follow all or interact with all of the Java podcast host. Thank you again for listening. We are next week to discuss another great character and a great story. So. So thank you for joining us for show notes and links to all the other great dueling genre. Oh, Andrew, I'm sorry. I think this is the first edit point.